The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. I'm happy to be with you today. I want to remind you that the World Investigators Conference is just 12 days away, hosted by the Texas Association of Licensed Investigators and sponsored by, of course, PI Magazine. Uh, It starts in just 12 days, August 16th through the 19th. And for details, either go to www.pimagazine.com or www.tally.com. Okay. Well, we have a hot topic today. I hope some of you who have contacted me prior to the show will call in when we're discussing the pretext controversy. So let me introduce you to my guest, Brian D'Antonio. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Hello, Francie. How are you? Thanks for being on the show, Brian. Absolutely. It's, it's, been, it's my pleasure. So you have 15 years uh, experience in claims, and you're a risk management expert with some experience in safety assessment, risk management, loss control, claims management, all kind, kinds of things like that. And I guess you hold a BA from Northeastern University. Yes, I do. I do. So how in did criminal you start- justice? In criminal justice. Okay. Well, that's my major as well. Okay. Um, <laughs> so how did you start in this out in this business of private investigation, Brian? Well, I'll be honest. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't really where I was going, or, or where I wanted my career to go, anyways. But uh, when I got to uh, school, um, I was kind of asked to choose a different major because I was on a football scholarship, and and uh, my major was going to take up some labs and things of that nature. So I was going into the uh, physical therapy field, but um, they they, they kind of pushed me over towards criminal justice. Everybody kind of thought it was like the easier of the uh, of the classes to take, but you know, I found just the opposite that it was. Um, that there was a there was a lot of uh, you know subjectivity in the in the, in the content and things like that. There's a lot of discussions. There was a lot of you know um, case law and things like that that we got into. So it intrigued me a bit. But when I got out of school, uh, my my wife took my resume and, unbeknownst to me, sent it to a, a, a <laughs> PI company for this job that she thought I'd be really interested in because I kept on coming home telling her how much I hated my job selling industrial supplies. So um, <laughs> Funny. she, all of a sudden I got a call from the, the PI agency. I talked to the gentleman on the phone. Um, so you would say it's kind of by accident, totally all around. I totally get that. Mine was by accident as well. So, so you, you were hired practically on the phone, weren't you? 
Yeah, I was hired by a, a company up in uh, uh, Massachusetts, Summit Investigations. Uh, they are uh, Bob Reynolds, who's still a very good friend of mine, owns that company, and uh, you know he he taught me the ropes, the way that they were supposed to be, and you know, he had a very high ethical standard and. Um, you know, I mean, you can definitely get into things the right way and you can get into things the wrong way. And I think the PI industry is one that if you do get into it the wrong way, there's a lot of pitfalls along the way. So I've been exactly. fortunate enough over the years to have, uh, to have good guidance along the way in doing this. And now I, hopefully I'm providing some of that good guidance now. Well, it's nice to hear you say that. It's always nice to uh, recognize your mentors. So I'm sure uh, Bob Reynolds appreciates that. Absolutely. So- yeah, so I understand you're also the president of something called Cross Tracks. What is that? Well, one of the differentiators in our business, and again, I've, I've primarily been on the claim side of things. I've, I've worked, you know, um, you know, breaches of information and, and things of that nature. Worked statutory rape cases in in, uh, in back in Massachusetts when I was in the field. But um, one of the things that I, I have done is I've worked for several large organizations in, in doing this. Um, and, and those large organizations, uh, the one differentiator they had, you know, I, I always looked at the work and I just said, geez, I don't know how we keep getting the work that we get based on the quality of work that we're providing. But the one differentiator between the small PI firm and the, the large conglomerate um, was technology. Mm-hmm. And Crosstracks basically um, is my um, is what I've built over the years of, of doing this from a technology standpoint as a case management uh, system. It provides complete case management for investigators as far as evidence collection of video, photographs, um, audio. Um, it has a report writer in it. So mm-hmm. if you really have other investigators out there, one of the big things is, you know, do your reports kind of look alike or, you, or when you send something to A, or, or person A, they getting you know something, and person B is getting something totally different, you know. So, right. um, so it's it's a, it's a case management system that that provides report writing, evidence collection, case notes. Um, it even goes as far as to provide its own internet mining technology, where it goes out and does the investigation for you and creates a report, and then it's got its own internal CRM too for the sales perspective. Wait a minute, what's CRM? Oh, client, I'm sorry, client relationship <laughs> management. Okay. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, yeah. You know, it's funny, PIs, uh, it's, it's not that <laughs> prominent in the PI world um, because PIs kind of get there. It's, it's more of a word-of-mouth type um, business. But uh, as, as you, as you want to grow up, I've talked to a number of investigators through my time and said, hey, listen, how do I do what your company's doing or how do I do what you're doing right now? And, and really the the CRM, the client relationship management system is what I jumped on is something that, uh, you know, making sure that you're always touching base with your clients, making sure that they're always happy with your work, making sure that they're happy with any changes that you made in your business and things like that. And that was one of the things that, uh, that we thought was important. So we implemented into cross tracks, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite, I, I'll be honest with you. It's quite the software. It's, uh, you know, it's, I think it's a valuable asset to any any business to have that sort of thing. Very good. Well, very interesting. So, uh, so we're going to talk about pretexting today. And um, as as you know, Brian, I've already seen several um, calls and emails regarding this subject because it is a hot topic. So, what uh, what is your definition of pretexting? 
Uh, again, my definition of pretexting is anytime a person um, tries to obtain any type of information under a ruse, I think they're using a pretext. I mean, I, I, that's what it is. And I, I never heard the word pretext before until I got into this business. Uh-huh. And for my years, my, my, you know, the infancy of my career with, with private investigations, uh, the word pretext wasn't so bad. It, it started to become bad um, as the PI industry grew and as agencies began licensing investigators in different states. And, and the one thing I can tell you, that kind of just refreshing my, you know, my, my memory on this stuff for, for this interview alone, um, it, it's still such that the different states license private investigators, but the laws are really concerning, you know, how you obtain your license, what kind of a badge you use, what kind of a, you know, and they generally, um, they generally talk about, you know, a certain ethical standard some of the states do, but nobody ever really delves into the, the, uh, the, the, the topic of pretexting as far as private investigators go. So it was, it was kind of interesting uh, yesterday seeing some of those emails that you sent over um, and, and seeing what people think about what pretexting is. And I mean, we just talked briefly a second ago about it, it's different for everybody. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, every investigation brings its own um, requirements to it. The, the, the outcomes or expectations of your clients bring their own um, uh, variables to it. And I think that if you're going to go out and you're going to use a pretext, um, there could be very innocuous pretexts that are, and when I say legal, I mean, you know, I don't think anything's necessarily illegal or against the law if you do it the correct way. But from a morality standpoint, do you want, you know, do you want to give yourself that, you know, that name that you don't care about how you use these type of things? Because you certainly can break the law pretexting. But if, if it's done, and everything in investigations, I've always said, if it's done in a reasonable manner, a reasonable person can assume it's okay to do that, then, you know, that, that, that should guide you. Well, um, let's, let's just say that pretext, a pretext can be as simple as making a phone call and not disclosing your true identity. It could be as I simple believe, as yes. that. Yep. So, or it could be knocking on somebody's door and not telling them why you're there. That could be a pretext. Correct. Correct. So, so it can be simple as that. What I think um, where people get, um, and even legislators get confused, is private investigators are not representing an individual that is not them. Like, for instance, I'm not coming in and saying, I'm Brian D'Antonio. Correct. Nor am I saying, I uh, represent Crosstracks. So I'm not representing, I'm not false personating. I'm not representing Correct. myself as a real person or a real company. Now, if you want to re- represent Crosstracks and you want to sell it, I'm fine with that. Just so, we can, <laughs> yeah, just so, just so we're clear on that. If you want to go door to door and say, hey, Crosstracks are great, I give you the authorization to do that. But you're 100% accurate with that. And, and the thing is... You know, the, the way I have to look at it, and I've looked at it for a long time in the claims industry, we deal with insurance companies and we deal with claims representatives. Claims represent, representatives are, 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 for the most part, I would say, overworked. 
Um, they, they have upwards of 200 claims that they're dealing with. They have timelines they have to meet. They have letters they have to send out by a certain time. They, they have everything that, 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 that's got to, um, that has to do with a claim that they have to get involved with. Now, one of the aspects of it is investigating the claim. So when they send us an investigation, um, you know, it's, it's upon us to do the best we can do to investigate the claim in an ethical manner. I mean, you know, the days of, uh, and, and, you know, the, the stories that I've heard in, in the past where people, you know, throw down money or, mm-hmm. you know, fire a gun in the air to get a guy to turn his head, you know, the, the, the right way. I mean, I've heard all kinds of stories about what people used to do. I mean, those days are pretty much over. We, we go out now and we observe and we try to get, do the best we can to get evidence that not only a, a claimant or, or somebody that says they're injured is not injured, but we try to find out if they're injured, too. I mean, that's our, that's our job. If we see somebody that's genuinely injured, that's the information we have to relay. Um, we're asked from time to time by attorneys, by uh, corporations, by insurance companies, not to videotape those situations. But in, in reality, we, we can't do that based on our own ethics. You know? So when we get to a house, I think we have a duty to make sure that somebody's in that house that we're not sitting there wasting the client's money or time for eight hours um, just sitting in a residence. So when I use the word pretext in my job today, um, the word pretext to me means walking up to the door and saying, hey, I'm looking for Bob, and is it, Bob's not home um, right now, or you know, can I, can I get your name? So they, and just giving them a false name. Like you said, nobody's general name um, that you're that – you're, speaking of or nobody that's part of the investigation or anything like that. But, uh, you know, just trying to find out if the person's within the residence or not within the residence. And I think I, I really haven't found a law other than I believe in Minnesota that really specifies that, that an extension or an arm of an insurance company or an agent of an insurance company can't do something like that to, uh, to, to secure information. Well, I think maybe, uh, Brian, that's where the uh, dis- the discrepancy or maybe the controversy is, I know in California, for example, um, State Fund, who is our largest workers' comp uh, insurance provider, uh, they absolutely are prohibiting any kind of pretext, even like the one you described where you just go up to the door and say, I'm looking for Bob. They, that's prohibited by State Fund. And I can tell right. you, because I, I work directly even though I don't do claims, we had some issues out here in California and I worked with directly with them for about two years. So that came directly from their counsel. Now I know that um, this Monsanto law, which was uh, a case involving Monsanto versus Aetna, um, dealt with pretext and it seems to apply to Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and... uh, maybe one other state that I can't think of at the moment. Um, But I think it's being interpreted that um, even though that particular decision applied to contacting employees, uh, where evidently they were contacted under a pretext, it's being applied to all kinds of insurance claims investigations. I I read through the law. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just going and I think the attorneys are the ones that are driving this because the attorneys ultimately are going to be the ones that are responsible for the investigation, even though it's us that's doing the investigation. 
Correct. The, the, the laws that are being quoted or, or the they're they're not even laws. They're they're rules of professional conduct by you know attorneys, and I, I think those definitely need to be in there because again, you're you're you know you're dealing with people that are um, highly educated in the law and are there to represent people, corporations, whatever the case is, in their best interest. Well, pretexting to an extent. Um, you know, is what pe- most people or some people would con- consider, especially if you're the one uh, being persecuted, um, y- you would want the ability to exonerate yourself in some way, shape, or form. And, and to be honest with you, sometimes you can't get information um, without some level of pretexting. Now, the, the level of pretexting that you do or how it's going to affect the case or some those elements of it, I, I think that attorneys definitely have a responsibility towards hiring an investigator, providing them with an objective of their assignment, and letting them go out and do their assignment. What they tell them or how they tell them to do it or how they tell them to obtain the information or whether they tell them just don't worry about it, get me what I need, and, and, and let's move on. Um, I, I think they, they definitely should be held responsible. But on the same token, you know, the investigator has, always has a um, a duty to to make sure what he's doing is reasonable. And it, in this Monsanto case, I mean, there's you know there's allegations that the investigators actually went and said I think they said they were maybe writing a book um, about this. And you know, obviously at that point you're going to get some sensationalized you know testimony or or something to that effect by the by one of the witnesses. And other people said they were doing you know different things, but when you go up to somebody and you tell them what you're, you know, what you're trying to obtain, if you know that this is going to find its way into a courtroom at some point, you know, I believe it's your duty to make sure that person knows that their testimony may find its way into a courtroom. So here's what I'm doing and here, who, here's who I'm doing it for. So I, I kind of agree with all that Monsanto stuff, but it really doesn't have a lot to do with, general pretexting to right. obtain information to continue an investigation. Right. I, and I agree with that because we're, that just applies to insurance claims kinds of investigations. Correct. Um, but um, there was something you said that sparked my, my thought and now I, I lost it. But we'll come back to that. Um, so it was very specific, uh, even though this isn't, you're right, it's not a law but when there's a, a Supreme Court decision that comes down, it becomes case law, and then it applies. Right. So then, um, and it w- was very specific where you, it actually gives you exactly what to say. I am a private investigator working on behalf of so-and-so, and I want you to do this and that, and I want you to know this and that. It was very specific language in the decision. So I, I can really understand how in an insurance investigation, insurance claims investigation, how the uh, investigators in these the states that the Monsanto law applies to, why they're um, in the abundance of caution are doing all that they need to do to let that person they're talking to know who they are and without any kind of pretext, even knocking at the door to say, looking for Bob. Well, and here, here's, here's two, you know, again, looking at it from the, the, the two-sided approach here is that, you know, pretexting, and I think the Monsanto law, and, and it kind of uh, reinforces 
what we're saying is that Monsanto laws, if you're going to go and get testimony that you want approved in court, here's what you need to say to your claimant. This is what you say. Now, everything that's in there is pretty much what we say in our recorded statements. We tell them who we are. We tell them who we're representing. We ask for their consent to, to record the conversation. And then sure. we go so far as to, at the end, you know, ask them, did you know the, re- the conversation was being recorded? They say yes. We said, do, and we had your permission to do that? Yes, you did. And we close it, and that's it. Now, that's, if you ask me, that's court-ready stuff. But when you go to somebody, if I was to go to you, Francie, and say, you know, Francie, I'm, I'm trying to, uh, uh, you know, figure out what, you know, your neighbor's doing or whatever the case, that information is to guide an investigation. I'm not taking what you said here and now bringing it into a courtroom. It might find its way into my report in some way, shape, or form that this was, but it's really hearsay. You know? Well, that, that, so, you just, what you just said, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, go you, ahead. But what you just said is what sparked my comment a minute ago that I, that I couldn't follow through on. I, don't you think that any time you're doing an investigation, regardless of how simple or how complicated or who you're talking to, you need to be aware that it could end up in court? I mean, this, what we do is a legal process. I agree. I agree. But the the one thing that I have, have always found is that, you know, as an investigator, you know, you, you have to keep going with the investigation and you have to take certain, uh, I, don't, I don't want to use the word liberties, but that's all that's coming to mind right now. But you, you have to be able to continue with your investigation in a reasonable way. I, I don't think it's unreasonable for me to go into a claimant's neighborhood and do a survey or something to that effect with all the neighbors around to obtain information. Now, is that going to find its way into my report? Likely it will, especially if I obtain some information that's relevant to the investigation. And I can go and testify to that, and I don't have any problem sitting in front of a, a jury or, or anybody saying, hey, I walked around with this survey, and the survey you know, basically was, was um, aligned to obtain information generally about the neighborhood, but I specifically asked some questions about, you know, the subject's residence and things of that nature. I'm not dealing with anybody that's represented. I'm not dealing with anybody that has a, um, you know, a dog in the fight, so to speak, in terms of the, the you know, the legal nature of the case. Um, and they're not relatives or, or, or blood relatives or anything like that. They're neighbors. Those, I don't have any problem putting in the report and testifying to when I get to court that that's how I made my next move, which was to take a recorded statement from one of the other neighbors and then at that point tell that neighbor, hey, listen, you know, this is who I am. This is who I represent. Um, would you mind answering some questions for me? No? Okay, great. And then we get everything on the record. So I think there's two separate sides to it where general information um, or, or, you know, pr- general pretexting helps you take your next step in the investigation, but so, uh, specific items that you feel are, are kind of, you know, um, story breakers or whatever the case is, you know, those, y- you do, you have to have those in a statement or, or a guide or something to that effect where somebody, uh, when it w- makes its way into court, there's, a, there's, you know, evidence of how you obtain that information. So am I understanding you correctly that you would talk to somebody under a pretext and then you would go back to them and say, well, this is who I really am and could I interview you and record it? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I've, I, I've, done, it, yeah, I've done it several times before. But here, here's, here's what I'll tell you. The, the, it was kind of not that premise to, to say that, but 
I've, I have done that before. And, you know, going back, it is a little uncomfortable at first. But, you know, people generally understand, especially if you're, again, doing things in a reasonable manner and, and, and you're not, you know, just outlandish in what you're doing. But what I meant really was, you know, if you do get information, you know, about something that you could, you know, further the investigation on, with with somebody else, maybe a, a neighbor tells you, yeah, he's got a, he, you know, he works for a particular company, you know, leaving that neighbor's house and going down to the company and trying to get a recorded statement from the gentleman at the company, you know, th- those type of situations. Okay. All right. Interesting. So, I mean, and as we start, when we start out, this is a controversy, it's dicey. And it, uh, and I guess I would say to caution anybody out there that wants to ever do a pretext <laughs> on anything to check your state laws, check with the attorney you're working for, make sure that you're covered because there are lots of pitfalls in this situation. So instead of talking about insurance, because it's the insurance claims that uh, have the most most prohibits prohibitations. Um, also, the other thing is uh, pretexting for financial information. It is, across the nation, it is unlawful to pretext for any kind of financial information, whether it's a, a bank or a credit card company or a department store or even the individual. So I want to make that very clear that that is completely uh, illegal to do so. Yep, that's covered under the GLB Act there. Yeah, it's covered in a uh, act called Gramm-Leach-Bliley, and uh, we all follow that very carefully because it, that's uh, that's a problem. No but, doubt about that. But on the other hand, if somebody is committing fraud, or it's a parent that is a, a non-custodial parent that has abducted a child, or you're working on a missing persons case, or any of the, those other kinds of things, you know. Pretext. I mean, they're not going to talk to you if you tell them who you are. Hey, by the way, I'm Francie Kaler, private investigator, and I'd like to talk to you about this child you just abducted. It's not going to happen. I I haven't seen one work out like that. <laughs> you haven't really? No, I I, I, I haven't. But uh, uh, but but again, it, 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 you know, in, in the in our profession, sometimes you see the craziest things. But I, no, I haven't. Somebody he's seen somebody who just walk up and say that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the reality is uh, we are in a situation sometimes where we can't provide the full truth because it's going to have detrimental effects on the rest of the case. I mean, you know, we're charged with uh, ferreting out information, you know, aside from an insurance case or a, a financial case we're charged with finding out what's going on with this case and getting to the bottom of it. So, it you know, it's got pros and cons. We need to take a quick break, though, Brian. This is fascinating. Okay. We'll, be right, we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Today I'm talking with Brian D'Antonio and we're talking about a very hot topic of pretexting and that controversy. Brian, uh, give us some, give us some uh, ideas about what you should address before you approach somebody with a pretext. Well, I, I mean, for the legitimacy of the pretext, really, and for the, uh, you know, for the safety, really, of the investigator, depending on the situation you're in, and that's something we haven't really talked about, but... Um, for some of the, the places that I used to work in, in, in Boston, New York City, things of that nature, where you go in and somebody finds out you're a private investigator, uh, you know, you really put yourself in a precarious position. Mm-hmm. So you really have to be prepared before you go in there uh, doing anything like that. And I think one of the things that you, you need to really focus on uh, first before you can even start contemplating the pretext is what information you're trying to gather. Like what, what is, what are you looking to come out of the pretext? What knowledge do you need to know before you go in there and um, tell somebody that you're, you're somebody else and you know, now you're going to go get some information. So I think the first thing to do is understand what your, what your objective is and what you're looking for. Um, make sure that it forwards the objective of the assignment, you know, make sure that, Ultimately, when this case is over, this piece of information is going to positively affect the case. I mean, if it's going to negatively affect the case or, you know, just be neutral to the case and and there's other important things that have to be done, you know, maybe it's not the best decision at that point, you know. Um, You you know, the... (laughs) People that are that are good at public speaking, and, and that's something I wasn't always very good at. I got kind of thrown into it with these uh, going and doing presentations to clients and things like that. But um, you know, some people just that pretexting isn't for them. You know, and if pretexting isn't for them, I, I you know the private investi- investigative industry can be a pretty hard place to um, 
um, to break into. So being able to be composed when you're talking to somebody, being able to uh, sell the pretext, um, being able to sometimes even change your voice a little bit, or the way you talk to, to fit into different areas. I mean, I, I, I've worked a case down in uh, Florida after having lived in Massachusetts for a pretty long period of time, and I remember the lady said, you talk too fast. You know, so <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that wasn't that wasn't a good. Uh, you know, that was me not doing my due diligence and, and understanding that people down there had a little bit of a southern drawl to it. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so those are. Uh, you know, the, the other thing is if you're going to go in there and say you're somebody else or that you're going to do something else, you should have names of other people involved in what you're doing or have some knowledge of the the, the business that you're in or. Um, you know, people need to feel comfortable that you know what you're talking about and there's no loose ends to what you're saying. Um, or they're simply not going to help you or provide any, uh, any further information because you just don't sound right. Um, using props, you know, pretexting materials to, uh, to make things seem more uh, legitimate than they are um, is, and I know that doesn't sound good, but things more legitimate than they actually are, but... Um, <laughs> But pr- but props are are, are important. Um, oh, like what? Like what, Brian? Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's if you're going to go up and, and and do some sort of delivery pretext. I mean, I, yeah, I got to be honest with you. You know, back in the the, the old days of doing this, um, we used to deliver something. You know, whether it be mm-hmm. flowers, whether it be something innocuous, or whatever the case is. Um, if you're going to Try to find out if somebody's going to be home during the day, or 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 the, the residents are going to be there during the day. Walking up to somebody's house and saying, "Hey, is, is are you guys going to be home all day? You're going to be leaving." Um, but walking up with a hard hat on and maybe a jacket and and some placards on your vehicle that have the, a name of of a fictitious business, you know, somebody will look at it going, "Oh, this guy's looking because he wants to be able to shut off or whatever, whatever the case is." And mm-hmm. and. Uh, now you're able to establish that, that you know they're not going to be home all day, or or they're going to be going out, or whatever the case, you know, whatever the the um, objective of the assignment is. So being able to sell what you're going to be pretexting about is 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 very important to ensure that the pretext goes well. And I suspect this people that are listening to this program that are not private investigators, uh, this conversation is making them very nervous. <laughs> It made me nervous when I first started doing it. So that's a normal reaction, Francie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the reality is, uh, there are people that you are investigating that are not that are not going to give. They're not going to tell you the truth. So you have correct. You have, you have to, to know go. that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly right. So, so there's some things that you absolutely cannot do. Like you can't ever represent yourself as a government, uh, a person working for the government. Or Correct. Uh, somebody, or for a, a police officer, any kind of law enforcement. Right, for, and again, there, while there's law for that, you really shouldn't do a couple of things. You shouldn't identify yourself as a police officer, any government official. So I, I see a lot of people say, "Well, you know, I'm with the Department of Labor. I'm with the Department." Of, shouldn't you, you can't represent anything like that because you, you take the, you know, you take that person's ability to make a decision of whether they want to talk to you or not talk to you away from them by saying I have to talk to them because you know they're a government official they're 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 you know they're here under official business um the other thing is you know when it when it comes to businesses private businesses i mean you can't walk up to say someone and say hey listen i'm i'm from uh UPS or FedEx right. and do a delivery right. pretext 
and expect that you're not going to get sued if if they find that out, or or expect that you know there might be some other you know potential hazard along the way with with you losing your PI license as a result of unethical behavior or whatever. Um, and then doctors, um, you know, uh, is another kind of sore subject with people. A lot of people try to attain. You know, there's companies out there um, that I know of that, you know, will go under an, uh, a pretext to try to obtain medical information. And again, yeah. people justify it by saying, hey, it's okay because it's workers' compensation and workers' compensation isn't covered under HIPAA, but they're, it's, it is covered under HIPAA. There's just very specific, Absolutely. narrowly tailored guidelines that, that you might be able to, for an accounting purpose or a billing purpose, be able to obtain information. But... Um, so, so pretending to be a doctor, a pharmacist, or something to that effect, I, you know, I would I would suggest staying away from as well. Or a clergyman, for example, would be another one. Correct. Um, yeah. I, I haven't ever talked to a clergyman. You haven't? No. Not ever. <laughs> okay. Not, not really. I mean, I've never fell into a situation where I'm like, "Hey, I'm a clergyman" or anything like that. So I, I yeah. don't. I, I might have just by talking to somebody in town or whatever. We had constables in in Massachusetts that did a, a lot of the, uh, you know, the process service and things like that. That uh, we we said don't don't impersonate the constables and things like that. But um, no, I never came across a clergyman in this line of work. So there's some big do's and don'ts. Um, Brian, what would you, could you list those for us? Well, I, I, again, the don'ts, well, I, I think we covered a lot of them. I mean, one of the things I would say in, in regards to, uh, you know, pretexting as far as don't do, um, I, I would suggest looking at the uh, overall investigation, what you're doing, the information you're trying to obtain, and and I know this is hard for some people to do, but sit back and pretend you're a reasonable person outside of the scope of the investigation, outside of the scope of any court hearings or anything like that. Would your pretext disturb a reasonable person? You know, mm-hmm. or would mm-hmm. your pretext really make somebody feel uncomfortable about having to make a decision, including your evidence that you obtained during the pretext? And I think, I think that really is the standard um, as far as private investigators go who are conductable re- conducting reasonable assignments and not involve themselves in criminal cases or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. As far as criminal cases go, you know, it's, it, it's, it's by law. Like, what, what can and can't you do? Obviously, if you walk up to someone and say, you know, a long time ago, and I, I think it was one of the problems, but some of the states were identifying private investigators as private detectives. So someone would walk up, you know, with a badge or whatever and say, hey, I'm detective so-and-so, I'm looking into this matter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that information is not going to make its way uh, into court, I can assure you, and it's probably going to get the, the investigator arrested for impersonating a police officer. Probably so. so. Yeah, you, re- you really want to avoid those type of things. And, it, you know, one, one of the things that's coming out now because of social media is pretexting via social media. You know, are, are you... Are you able to hide behind the cloak of a social media account and, you know, shoot out a pretext to somebody hoping to obtain information? You know, what does that mean? The different rules apply. And well, that, with, that with, would be prohibited by the social media provider. Well, exactly. And, that, and, and that's what people say, you know, clients always ask me, is it illegal to do it? And it's not illegal, but you open, your up to, you open yourself up to civil liability 
based on the fact that if, if the claimant finds that out or subject finds that out, they're going to go back to the social media provider and say, hey, you guys, you know, I, I was under the expectation that these were the rules and this person violated these rules. What are you going to do? And I can guarantee if it's a big corporation, um, they're, they're going to, you know, they're going to file a lawsuit and make somebody the example. And, and if it isn't, even then, they're, you're going to lose your account. Correct. If you, if you conduct, no doubt. if you set something up like that, you will be taken off of the social media account. Period. Because they're they're very strict about uh, using, uh, not using your own identity when you're on. Your well, and as they sh- as they should be. We've seen many yeah. times where um, it's had dev- it's people doing that have had devastating effects on on how they've manipulated other people. So it's it's. Right. It's about time they started catching up to the uh, to the cyber world. Also, I want to come back to criminal. Uh, I don't I don't know what happens in other states, but in California, you are required to identify yourself, the case you're working on, uh, the attorney and the uh, the client, the defendant of the case you're working on, if you're contacting anybody that's listed in the police report. That includes family members and everybody. So it's it's actually a misdemeanor. If you don't do that, wow! Yeah, California's got some pretty stringent laws when it comes. I have to, gone when it comes so, to everything they do. Well, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, I know, I know, seen, as far as SIU, anyways, they set the standard for how, how that looks, and they, I, I mean, frankly, they've done a great job with the, with the SIU portion. What defines, you know, uh, good uh, a good SIU designation uh, in in the business. Well, I have gone so far on my business cards, on the back of my business card, I have, I'm a private investigator, I am not a police officer, I do not work for the prosecutor, I work for an attorney representing, I have a line where I can write in the name of the client. So it's um, because uh, people like to make claims that they didn't know who they were talking to, they thought they were talking to a police officer or the district attorney or an inspector, and uh, you know, you have to protect yourself. So I'm no, offering, that, offering that out to the, the California world. I don't know what other states are doing, but uh, that's certainly the case in California. No, that's good. That's a great idea, actually. I've never, I, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody doing that. That's a great idea. Yeah, and, and of course you could even do that with insurance claims, too, uh, to protect yourself. Because, you know, what, what happened, I think what really brought this pretext controversy to the forefront was the Hewlett-Packard case several years ago. I think it was about 2005, 2006. And the, um, there, were, there was an issue in the boardroom. And evidently, there were some leaks from the boardroom that was causing the company some problems. And uh, the law firm for the company hired some private investigators to do some research. And these private investigators accessed uh, telephone records through a pretext. And it has resulted, of course, in a law that you also can't pretext for telephone call records any longer. Um, so there's a lot of fallout uh, regarding pretext when people handle it incorrectly. And some of those investigators were, were prosecuted. Um, so it, it became a really big deal. It certainly became a big deal in California because this is where um, Hewlett-Packard is based. So... Pretexts have to be used very judiciously and carefully. Yeah, you know, like you like you just said, it's uh, 
usually the law revolves around somebody doing something wrong. You know, it's, I mean, it's exactly. like it, it goes as far as to like our, our our kids. You know, when they do something in the, in the house that we don't like them to do, that becomes a new rule. Don't you know? Don't uh, play with daddy's shoulder pads or whatever whatever the, the the situation is. But the thing is, I mean, it, it comes down based on you know issues where investigators use poor judgment, um, weren't reasonable in what they were doing. Uh, you know, and and. Uh, it made some bad, relatively bad decisions that created a uh, um, a law that everybody has to adhere to at this point. You mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And this, the same thing, of course, came, that's how the Graham Leach Bliley uh, decision came about, was because uh, an unlicensed investigator actually would gain some personal financial information unlawfully, and that created, that ended up in creating mm-hmm. that law as well. So <laughs> that is what happens, and that, and we have to be really careful of, about that. We have to be, we have to really work above the the boundaries of the law, and make sure. That's why I say if if you're in a state um, outside of the states we've been talking about, and you're not sure of the laws, be sure you, before you do this, you check it. You check the law. You check with your colleagues, you check with your attorneys you're working for, and make sure that you are actually operating within those boundaries. Well, and that, that's an excellent point. But, and, and I think that people and private investigators, even in big organizations, need to get more involved with their, their, their state associations. Um, the state associations have, a, have an in-depth and... Uh, you know, detailed account of legislation, changes in legislation, um, the spirit of law as opposed to the letter of the law. I mean, you can find out invaluable information when you go to these meetings and, and you know, subscribe to these newsletters and, and, and talk with these people when you, when you get to gatherings together and things like that. And the reason why it's so important is if, if you're like me right now, I'm in the panhandle of Florida. So I could be in Alabama, I could be in Georgia, I could be in Mississippi, I can be in, you know, ten- Tennessee. I've worked cases in Texas, we're licensed there, Massachusetts. Um, it's not, th- 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 we're not dealing with federal law. We're dealing with the individual states. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're dealing with a very touchy, touchy subject that, you know, has politicians uh, up in arms from, you know, people that are they're petitioning for, um, you know, less access to be to be given, and I, I think at one point it was even on the table that they were going to start taking comp reports away or something to that effect to uh, to you know protect the privacy of citizens. But again, as private investigators, there's a reason why we're licensed to do what we do. There's a reason why we go through the fingerprinting process and the background check process and the you know all these things that that go into you know my I still have a business in Massachusetts. And, you know, the state police periodically go there to check to make sure my, you know, my, my placard is up in, in my office and uh, sure. things are being run properly. And if they ever have any question as to my cases and they want to see some of them, I, I let them sign on to my case management system um, and go from there. But it's, you know, if you really have an interest in being a private investigator and doing things the right way, um, it's too hard in multiple states to keep up with the laws and what's going on and things of that nature. So yeah. I, I really tell people, you know, if you're really going to keep up with this and you really want to do things the right way, get involved with, with your local, um, 
association, your local PI association. Uh, they they do they lobby for you guys um, in the in the business. They do a lot. There's a lot that they uh, do behind the scenes that can really help your organization out. So I, I think that you made a great point when you said that. But all of that stuff flows right through those PI associations with, with all the legal stuff, and, and you'd be surprised. You know, some some of the things some of you might be doing out there right now are just kind of, you know, questionable, and you might want to curtail the the way you do it. Yeah, absolutely, and you 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 make a great point, and I I can walk right into this because as you uh, probably know, Brian, I'm the uh, legislative chair of the uh, National Council of Investigation Security Services, and uh, for investigation, and we offer at NCISS, we offer legislation across the country. There's a, a map right on our website, NCISS.org, right on the website where you can click on your state and you can find out all the bills that are pending if your, ses- if your legislature is in session, all the bills that are pending that apply to private investigators. Or well, and how that might affect their business, too. Right, and exactly. You know, I mean, if you so, see something on there that really affects your business, you might want to get passionate about changing it. <laughs> exactly right. And, and you know, it, and if you're not involved in an association, a trade association for a private investigation, you know, you really don't get that information. I mean, how can any of us keep on top of what's going on in the world? I mean, we can't, we can't even keep up with the national election, much less what's going on in our own states with sometimes little tiny details that affect well, the kind of work the, we do. The, what you sent me yesterday, the Monsanto law, from the, the gentleman that, that sent it into you, um, you know, again, it's, it's something that people don't realize this, but, you know, it, you're not just, you're not just um, you know, working under your laws as a private investigator. You know, you're still working under all the laws that every citizen right. is, has to adhere to. Right. But you're also working under the professional rules of, of um, uh, conduct of attorneys because you're an extension of them. You're, you're going to hurt the case just as much as an attorney would if you don't understand the professional rules of conduct of attorneys. So there's so much information out there from so many different angles that, I, I mean, I've got to be honest with you, I, I never, yes, as of yesterday, I never heard of that Monsanto law. Really? It, it, I never heard of it. it. But the more I looked it up when you sent it to me, the more I was finding private investigators are going out trying to obtain information from, you know, um, former employees and things like that. I'm like, this mm-hmm. doesn't pertain to, I, I think, what we're going to be talking about at all. But, I, I mean, although it does in some way, it, it's just its own little variable of, of, the, of the pretexting laws. So, um, yeah. So yeah, you, you, you're right. I mean, it, to, to be able to do this and keep up with things, um, you either have to keep up with every state that you're doing work in, and sometimes each individual state has so many laws that mm-hmm. interpreting them, it, it'd be nice to have you know an organization like an association uh, that can help you do that when you you know attend their meetings and attend their um, their their newsletters, or receiving their newsletters and things like that. So yeah, now that's that's huge. Yeah, and, and that's why I think we have to take direction from who we're working for. If it's the insurance company or if it's the, an attorney, we have to take direction from them because that protects us. If we're working for a private individual, we have absolutely no protection whatsoever. But Correct. if we're working under the auspices of maybe our corporate policy or the, uh, the insurance claims policy or whatever it, it is that oversees us, then... We're covered. 
Correct. Um, and that's, and again, for me, the, the key is documentation and, and making sure that um, mm-hmm. if an objective was unclear or it identified something that a person shouldn't be doing or something to that effect, that everybody has visibility on, you know, again, like on a case management system, whether it be on a Word document or whatever, but having a timestamp, you know, identifier of, of what, um, what was said or what was requested or whatever the case is and being able to show that later on is, uh, it, it's extremely important. And, and you should work under the guidance of your, uh, your attorney. And if you're working for a client that's a corporation or something to that effect, um, usually you want to involve their attorney as well. And sometimes it, it's weird. Sometimes we work very well with attorneys from corporations. Other times it's kind of a battle of whose investigation this is. <laughs> Not um, so much. <laughs> yeah, right. but you, you just want to make sure that this this isn't the time to to defend your pride. <laughs> this is definitely a time right. to work with the person and make sure the attorney has uh, has involvement in the, in the decision making process. Even to the extent that if something's going on at midnight or two o'clock in the morning, that you might want to make that attorney available to the investigator if he has to make a last minute decision. Um, that it does involve uh, legal counsel and their rules of professional conduct are taken into consideration when the decision's made. Well, and you know, we often get, I mean, you know, people think we can do anything, right? We can wave a magic wand and and accomplish just about anything. You can't do that, Gracie? (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I have one, I have a magic wand here that I thought's been broken for years, but apparently it doesn't work, you're telling me? Well, maybe you need to go back to the Harry Potter uh, uh, (laughs) studios and get it reactivated. But, but, you know... um, I think it's okay when if you are uncomfortable, if your client asks you to do something that you're not comfortable with, or you think is unlawful, even though that attorney may or may not think may think that it's completely reasonable. I think you can turn it down. Why, you know, why should you put your own self at risk for something that you're not comfortable doing? I call it the rule of a reasonable person. So is that what it is? If a reasonable person just feels uncomfortable with something. Or you think when you get into court, when this information is going to come out, as soon as you feel like, ah, I might be a little uncomfortable, if, uh, like my grandmother used to say, if it's, if it's going to be on the front page of the newspaper and you'd be embarrassed about it, don't do exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. You know what, Brian? We are, we are at the end of our, our session here. Uh, this has been so interesting. Thank you so much for coming on the show and, and uh, sharing it with us and, and kind of discussing through the myriad of, of controversy that surrounds pretexting. I really appreciate no it. No worries. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I thank you for reaching out to me to, uh, to do that. So uh, do you want to give your website uh, real quickly in case people want to contact you? Oh, yeah, sure. I, I, I wouldn't mind doing that. So Crosstrax is, um, is the company name, and it's spelled C-R-O-S-S-T-R-A-X as opposed to the traditional way, and it's .co, not .com. So it's uh, www.crosstracks.co, and that's our, uh, that is our online case management system. And if anybody has any questions and wants to email me from there, I'd be more than happy to answer any, any questions for, uh, for anybody. I, I, I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity, Gracie. Thank you very, very much. Perfect. And it's Francie, Brian. <laughs> I'm sorry. I guess. <laughs> Okay, so, my, my, so join my mind's me. Not working. <laughs> join me again next week, folks, when we declassify more real stories for real investigators like Brian D'Antonio. 
every Thursday morning, 12 noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. It's PIST Classified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PIS Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. PIS Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time here on the Voice America Variety Channel.